News Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. And tonight we're giving you some very rational perspectives, asking tough questions of the chief executive of NASPAS, Bob van Dijk. Uh, after last night's program, you will recall that Pit Fulun and Magnus Haystack had some very interesting questions. I posed them to Bob earlier today. We'll hear what he had to say. And then the uh, big story that uh, has hit the stock market today, well, certainly as far as private investors are concerned, is uh, Justin, Adapt IT. Adapt IT, a big Canadian company, Valaris, uh, offered to buy more than 50% of their shares, um, and it, it looks like it could possibly go private. And the share price of Adapt IT? Up 38% to 6 Rand 10. And we've got a new friend here who's, uh, who's got very deep pockets. Spoo Shabalala is in studio with us, Chief Executive of Adapt RT. I'm sure you're going to get lots of phone calls from people like us saying, uh, how about a loan? <laughs> I expect that. <laughs> okay, David, well, you know where to go if you need some more punting money like uh, Bill Huang. Yeah, well, I, I must say, Sabu, I had him on my uh, ventilator fund, you know, which I, yes. about a year ago, I, adapt, I identified 50-odd companies that were just too cheap to ignore. And this is the first one that has actually been bought out. You know, not, a lot of them have done well and have picked up their trading, but I thought that somewhere along the line, uh, people had to come and buy it out. And, and I'm really glad that, uh, you know, so, so, some value people have seen um, the operation and have, have, have picked up what I think is a very good company. I think Spoo is very glad that it isn't huge group that's doing the deal. <laughs> <laughs> and then a, a sad story that we're going to end off with tonight, the passing of my publisher, Jonathan Ball. Uh, he is the publisher of uh, the book that I wrote about investing like Warren Buffett. And it's been a privilege to to talk with Jonathan over the years. Uh, a big fan he is of Chris Becker's. I think that the uh, the Jonathan Ball estate is going to be massive because you might recall that Naspers actually bought out Jonathan Ball Publishers. Anyway, we'll be hearing from Jeremy Berain. Uh, Jeremy is the publishing director at Jonathan Ball Publishers. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour brought to you by the team at biznews.com. A story that we haven't uh, tipped yet or told you about yet is to do with Anglo-American unbundling its coal assets here in South Africa. It's almost like they're giving them away. Uh, but we'll speak to Peter Major about that story uh, coming up a little bit later. Our guest market commentator on Mondays and Thursdays, hardworking David Shapiro. <laughs> I see you writing columns again, David. Nice to see that they're keeping you gainfully employed in your old age. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not easy, Alec. I admire you. It's, writing is very, very difficult. And to th- to look think up stories that people are actually going to read. But, um, yeah, I do it once a month now. But it's fun. I enjoy it. <laughs> once a month, you lucky fish. In your dotage, though, it is a, a great place to be, is it not? 
Wait, where in old age or as no, no, a journalist? no, to be to be a writer in your dotage. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not like you. Every every sentence I have to think about, I have to f- understand the uh, grammar. It just doesn't come naturally. And I I have a son like you, you know, and and uh, I admire that both of you can just sit down and turn out article after article, which is very readable. And I say it as a great compliment. It's not easy to write. Your your son is a top journalist. Many people don't know that. He works for mm. the Australian Financial Review. Is he still there, eh? Mm. Yeah, he is. Well, yeah. Very, uh, very good uh, journalist and pity that we lost him here to South Africa. But we do have Justin Rowe Roberts and <laughs> he's going to tell us about the markets in just a moment. Before we get there, though, let's pick up on today's news headlines with Melanie Nathan. Anglo-American will spin off its South African coal mines into a new business this year, as the company moves to give investors more choice in deciding whether or not to support the coal business. The company has always said separating its South African business was likely in its exit from thermal coal. The new business, called Tugela Resources, will be listed in Johannesburg and London in June, according to a statement. Investors will receive one Tugela share for every 10 Anglo-American shares they hold. Anglo-executive Julian Glovu has been named Chief Executive Officer. Valaris Group has offered Adapt IT shareholders 6 Rand 50 per share in cash for the JSE-listed software services group. Adapt IT said in a statement that Valaris has offered to buy 100% of the company. However, as part of the scheme, Adapt IT shareholders are entitled to retain all or part of their share in the firm. Adapt IT shareholders, who collectively hold just under 22%, have furnished irrevocable undertakings in support of the deal. Huge Group previously offered shareholders almost one rand less per share. A recent investigation at ESCOM has uncovered more corruption, involving Tandi Mara. The then senior manager of business enablement for the state utility allegedly interfered in a tender process. Mara allowed Econ Oil and Energy to obtain contracts with more than 15 billion rand, says Bloomberg. In return for the tender, Econ Oil Director Notembo Mlonzi made a number of payments, including 100,000 rand contribution to the African National Congress, at Mara's request. ESCOM said that it has temporarily suspended Econ Oil as a supplier to allow it to make further responses over the next six months. The new development bank has approved a $1 billion emergency loan for South Africa to support the government's efforts to manage the economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. The funds will help finance the creation of employment opportunities under the Presidential Employment Stimulus Program, which aims to create and support about 700,000 jobs in the public sector. The NDB approved another $1 billion emergency loan for the country in June last year to support the nation's healthcare sector. The AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine has seen suspensions in Europe over a possible link between the shot and deadly blood clots in older patients. Health officials subsequently declared the vaccine safe for use. In the UK, the inoculation has now been reserved for those over 30 years old. The Wall Street Journal reports that the European Union's health agency said it had found possible links between the AstraZeneca vaccine and rare blood clots, but that the shot's benefits continue to outweigh the potential risks, according to the agency. Subscribe to Biz News Premium for access to the Wall Street Journal. I'm Melanie Nathan, and that was your Biz News Flash Briefing. Justin, what is going on on the JSE? The JSE All Share Index was slightly down at 67,000. Some of the day's highlights include Car Track down 6% to 54 Rand a share, 
I'm sure Mr. Shapiro will be able to delve into the recent price movements for us on this one. Barlow World up 6% to 97 rand a share. And Naspis is flat at 3,500 rand a share, recovering somewhat from yesterday's hangover as the share lost 5%. In the currency markets, the rand was flat against all the major currencies to 14 rand 50 cents to the greenback, 19 rand 90 cents to the sterling, and 17 rand 26 cents to the euro. Gold is up at $1,754 an ounce. Brent crude is flat at $63 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 835,000 rand a Bitcoin. So there we go, David. Uh, do you want to start off by telling us about car track? It's headed for NASDAQ, but it's been very volatile. Well, well, it is on NASDAQ. In fact, if you look, it is quoted under Carew with five noughts after that or five um, O's after that. So you've got um, a 36 rand, a $36 stock there, which translates to 522 rand. Now, next week on the 14th, car track actually vanishes off our uh, market. It pays out a dividend of 42 rand. The money goes to shareholders and they can actually use that money to get the same stake in this new company, Carew. Now, uh, David, David, it. I'm very confused. Just say yes. that all very slowly okay. again. So, so there's, a, there's, very a, slowly okay, again. there's a share mm-hmm. that is listed on NASDAQ and it's Called trading at? $36 a share. How many rands is that roughly? 500 rand, let's just call it. 522 rand. 522 rand. Okay. And then CarTrack, which is trading in Johannesburg, at 54 rand. Right. It's a long way from 522. Yes. Now, next week, CarTrack vanishes. It will no longer be there. It's uh, declaring a dividend of 42 rand to its shareholders. Okay? And that's it. So if you're a CarTrack holder... At 54 Rand, you're going to get 42 Rand. But you can use those proceeds to get your, the same number of shares or your same percentage holding in new Kuru, which is in NASDAQ. So if it sounds complicated, it is. So, <laughs> but, but you can't buy the shares in Kuru at 54 Rand. You've got to buy them at 500 and. Well, that's what rand. I don't know. I'm asking questions, everybody. Please explain what. The transaction is what have Carew offered Cartex shareholders now? What is the ratio? So you've got Sean there, you've got, uh, you know, got Sabu, you've got Justin, you've got a whole lot of other people, and I'm trying to find the answer because um, I, I, I can't read legalese and I get very confused when I go through these kind of statements. And all I want to know is what's the ratio? Sean, do you so know? And we're we talking about Sean Pesh, who's from Ranmore Asset Management. He's sitting in the in the financial capital of Europe, London. We can't say the world anymore, Sean, because the New Yorkers say that Europe's kind of well, England's fallen off after Brexit. But do you know much about this car track deal? I'm afraid I know nothing about it. Okay, you know nothing. Right, we've got a spoo, uh, the CEO of uh, Adapt RT. He's just counting the money today. He's, he doesn't know anything about that either. Justin, it's, it's up to you. Alec, this is above my pay grade. This is why we get Mr. Shapiro and Mr. Pesh on the show. Come on, David. All right. Where's the value add, David? No, exactly. Car track gone. We, we finished with car track. We'll try and find out about it tomorrow. I'll tell you what is coming up is that interview with, uh, well, interview. It wasn't, really, it wasn't an interview. This morning, the CEO of NASPAS, uh, Bob Van Dijk, and the CFO, uh, Basil Skordos, 
had a teleconference for journalists. Mm -hmm. So I asked him those difficult questions that Pete Fulion was posing last night. His response was very interesting. He said, oh, but Naspass's share price, which went down 5% today, he says, and you, you'll hear this in the clip in a moment, went up, Naspass went up strongly today. Well, I don't know if you call half a percent strongly. So it was up 3%. I think after that conference call, the hesitancy and their answer shot it back down to flat. Well, there we go. I'll tell you what did go up strongly was Adapt IT. Nearly 40%. Okay, so, so the man's here. Let's just ask him a little bit. How do you feel? I mean, when you see, last time you were in the studio, Spoo, we were talking about huge wanting to buy your company out for issue shares, and you weren't impressed. You didn't want that to happen. Now you've got a bunch of Canadians who've offered you a, a hefty premium on what the shares were trading at, and certainly a heck of a lot more cash offer than what Huge wanted to give you. Are you relieved or are you ecstatic? Well, uh, I'm pleased that, that our shareholders have, have options because, you know, um, the, a share offer always requires... No, come on, no. Don't, don't talk that speak. You, you, you're either relieved or you're ecstatic. Look, I, I'm happy. Um, you're happy. I'm happy that uh, shareholders have a choice. <laughs> you, know, um, okay. you, you know, options are always important in this in, the, in this instance. What do you uh, think, David? Uh, look, I'm I'm they've they've come a long way, and I just hope that for Cebu, you know, that he's still part of it, and they can claw back yeah. uh, where they should be. I think I think that's very important that you know that they've got a base now. They're not worried about where they were because this was a share that was down. I think below two rand. Yeah. You know, not too long ago, this was about a third of its value. So I'm hoping that the base is now formed. It takes a lot of the pressures off management, and they can actually get the company back to where it was. And it was at one point a sixteen rand share. Yes. So uh, mm. De definitely, and the, and that's that's why we we're very mm. interested in this particular transaction, because um, mm. it, it sets it sets the base for shareholders that um, you, you know we were last uh, at six rand uh, fifty in in twenty eighteen November twenty eighteen mm. two and a half years ago. So should shareholders wish to exit, they have an exit price. So so that is very important. For, for shareholders that have been under pressure over the last uh, few, few years. But for management, we, we were never leaving the business. So, so, so the challenge was really the capitalization of the business in order for us to capitalize for our future strategy. And this transaction um, you know, promises to do that. So this is Canadians. Canadians are very polite. They're very kind people. They're nice people to be in business with. I was in business with Canadians yeah. once. So yeah. I'm talking from experience. Do you know much about the company, though, apart from the fact that it's a subsidiary of a giant? Yes, look, uh, they, I, I must say they haven't been hostile. Um, you know, they, they, their approach has always been friendly. You, you know, Constellation uh, has always approached Adapt IT because we're a software business, and they've always wanted to buy out Adapt IT. And we always, we've always said to them, look, if, if, we, if you buy us out, then where does our value sit? So, so that's why we've always better them off. So they've uh, been around? They, they've been around uh, since, since, you know, even when we were rated much higher than, than what the market rates us. So we, we eventually um, looked at, you know, when they approached us again in December uh, of, of 2020, they said, look, 
we've just done a transaction um, similar to, to what we'd like to propose to you, where management uh, can stay in and, and we can create a, a vehicle for growth in the future without, um, you know, with, without really losing the essence of what you've created. So, so they come in as an investor uh, and, fund our, and fund the growth of the business. But it's a long-term strategy. But now I know why you were so confident when you were last in the studio. Hmm, Justin? That, I, I guess that's non-public information, Alec. That's what we have to call it. But um, Subu, I also guess as a Canadian company, a huge software company in Canada, you'll be able to leverage their expertise and knowledge. I, I assume they operate across the globe. Certainly. I, I think, you, you know, when we were talking about the, the, the previous offer, well, the offer, you know, remember the, the other option, the, the, the synergies were not there. Uh, and, and the other it, option meaning huge who you don't like. Uh, no, look, uh, it's an option for, for mm-hmm. our shareholders. Uh, they, you know, some shareholders may want to exercise it, but the, the nice thing now is if they, if they take the, the, the Volaris offer, which is a cash offer, they can actually buy a huge share, a full huge share, and still pocket some change, not 0.9%, you see. So, so we can, you know, they can, they can still have, they now have options. So, so I guess, you know, we looked at strategy, strategic alignment. You know, the, the Volaris business uh, from the discussions that they've had with, manage, with the management team have always been supportive of us building a much larger software business and an international software business, which, which was our strategy. The tough business. question, and the obvious question for people is that if they've been around for a long time, if you've always rejected them, why suddenly now are you excited that they've put, when they've put something on the table? Is it to do with huge as interest? No, it, it hasn't. I guess they, we had a, we've always had a challenge of our capital structure. We took on too much debt, and uh, you, we've been paying it down. However, our our investors um, have not had the the funds to recapitalize the business further, and we know that. We, you know, we went to the market, and we all agreed we're going to just run the business um, and ensure that we can pay down our debt in order for us to get some some access to to to, to capital for investment. So that's why we stopped acquisitions, and and we only will resume them. In the next six months but to the extent that we can find a strategic shareholder who's willing who, who wants to have a, a Afri- an african presence who's willing to put in as much capital as we can deploy so so that's that's a something that we we really can't uh, not look at and it's canadians not americans which is quite <laughs> different isn't it they're, they're quite they're quite different and i must say we've had interfaces um with you know the the the, the whole team including the leadership team um, and and we, as man, as a management team, um, all of us are unanimous in saying in saying that these are people we can work with. Um, well, the, of the options, they're the only ones that that have actually spoken to us about working together. <laughs> is this share still going to be listed after um, they need to get fifty percent? Sure. Is the intention that Adapt IT will still be on the market? There, there are options. So so. The, the, their preference is to have one listing, so so because uh, Volaris is, is is a CSI business and CSI is listed in the Canadian Stock Exchange. So to run dual listings at, at this early stage when Adapt IT is still a small cap um, might may not be necessary. 
uh, but to the extent that we, we can grow the business, we can always relist the business. Um, but but the, the intention really is to, that, that they have is to delist the business. However, they are open, um, as you've seen the options uh, in, the, in the firm announcement, uh, to remain listed um, in order for them to take a, a while to delisting should should the share not not re-rate that's a good story all around a billion rand uh, deal there but sean pesh we've spoken a lot about naspas in the past and i'm, I'm going to be interested to hear as the program goes on what spoo's view is on what's been going down there i'd like you to listen carefully to the important part of the conference call and let's just see what your comments are on this your next question comes from the line of Alex Hogg calling from Biz News. Thanks very much. We had a, a, an interesting discussion on our radio show last night where Pete Fulyun, who I'm sure you know is, is one of our top investment analysts in South Africa, made some points. And I'd, there are three questions, three parts to this question. So I'd love to get your feedback on them. First, he said the fact that the share prices of all the related stocks fell yesterday uh, by 5% shows that the market believes that you're going to destroy value uh, with the $14.6 billion that you're bringing in. I'd like your comment on that. The second point is that if you were to unbundle Tencent, it would rapidly close the discount that you've been struggling to close over the past while, despite those six, uh, significant share buybacks. Now that you've got, as Basil was saying a moment ago, nearly $15 billion in cash, it seems like it's, it's plenty of money, same size as, as, uh, as the market cap of Standard Bank, to be able to deploy into whatever your ambitions would be. So now that you've got this, would you be looking to perhaps unbundling at last the 10 cent shareholding? And the final point was that the sale came exactly three years and two weeks after your last sale. Uh, so you, you have two weeks, you've basically given it two weeks after your own deadline. Does that mean that we can expect another sale of 2% in 2024? So on the, on the first one, look, I, I, um, I, I don't make it my business to second, to second guess the market. Um, if you look at, if you look at um, um, the, the, the prices today of Proces and Naspers, they're up again substantially. And um, there's a fair amount of volatility in this world. Right. I think, uh, look, uh, what one a lot more sensible explanation was that typically after such a book build, the, the share price of the, uh, the company where the shares are sold adjusts to the price at which the, uh, the book build was done, which in this case would have been 595. And I guess the, um, the, the pricing changes to pros and aspers could have been to anticipate that price change. Who knows, right? Um, but I, but I think the suggestion there is, is I think, fairly, um, a fairly naive one. Uh, um, and again, Mark, guess second guessing the market is, is not my business. On the second question, um, unbundling Tencent, ten look, that's an interesting, an interesting suggestion. And that suggestion has been made to, to us as a group for 15 years, right, on, on various occasions by various people. And I think our investors are, are incredibly grateful that we never followed that advice in the past. And um, and I think that is that is where we stand today, right? If you look at the Chinese internet market is by far the largest and by far the most innovative in the world. And I, and I would say that the value creation in, in, uh, in internet technology has been 
spectacular in the last decade, but I believe it will continue to be uh, very significant going forward. And, and China is the largest uh, technology uh, consumer internet technology market in the world, and and will therefore be the place where most of that that value growth will happen. Tencent is um, an exceptionally well-run company that is very well positioned in that market. So. Uh, for a global internet company like ours to have a very substantial exposure to the best company in the most attractive uh, market, I think is a very sensible thing that has proven for uh, for about 20 years to be a an excellent thing for our investors. So uh, unbundling, I think, is is a suggestion that is typically proven to be a very poor one, and we continue to think that that's a poor one going forward. And maybe Basil, you can answer the third question. Yeah. So um, the timing, Alec, was really driven by the opportunities we see ahead and 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 the needs for capital, and it has nothing to do with the that fact Paris expired and that we were planning this. Um, you know, as Bob said upfront, right? COVID's had a really transformational impact on technology across the board, and particularly our business. Our top line growth is just under 50% for our e-commerce assets. Um, and that continues. It continues at that sort of pace. And um, we think a lot of these trends are here to stick. We have great positions in great markets um, of which we can build a broader ecosystem, broader play. Okay, we did prematurely cut that off, but uh, basically the follow-up question there was, uh, was really, uh, if you think that unbundling is a a silly thing for your shareholders. Surely your shareholders have got the direct access anyway to Tencent. And then Bob Van Dijk said, oh, well, maybe, but actually where the benefit comes from Tencent is that we're on the board and we we get information from them, and that's helped us to be a better company. Sean, I'm sure you listened carefully to that. David will have his comments. Let's kick off with you. I I certainly did, Alec. And um, sorry, I must just say that I'm... I'm in awe of uh, both Peter and David in their, in their company. Peter and I go back a long way. I did a back job at Coronation <laughs> in 92, and he was one of the most friendly, accommodating people to this young, irritating VAT student. So I just want to say it's a pleasure to see him again. That's Peter Major you're talking about. That is Peter uh, The same one. <laughs> the same guy. <laughs> right. Um, so, listen, so what's interesting is, and perhaps maybe this is just to my roots, I have no interest in NASPES, no holding intensive, no... You know, I'm not long, short, anything in aspects, okay? So, um, but I obviously have followed it because it's such a big part of the South African market. And it may not surprise you to know that Pete, um, uh, you know, Pete and I, Pete Fulion and I sing from the same song sheet. And so I happen to agree with, with all his points. Um, in fact, I, in, in terms of the destroying of value, uh, I would argue that there's two factors. One is that they might destroy value, but spending more money on this food delivery. And, and in fact, I had a look today, you know, in the UK, there are 21 food delivery apps that you can choose from. Highly competitive. Nobody makes any money. They're all these hundreds of millions of dollars. And that is at a time when everybody's sitting at home not being able to go to restaurants. Okay, If you can't make money when your only option is to cook or to order takeaways, how on earth are you going to make money when people go to restaurants? That's the first point. The second point is, I think, enormous disappointment at at um, at not the at not the sale, but the commitment to not buy not to sell any more shares for another three years. 
okay? So that's, that is what I think is very, very disappointing. And I, in fact, I did, a, I did a little analysis here, and I said if you took the last 100 days average volume um, of Tencent, and bearing in mind that with all the algos out there, if you are anywhere close to 10% of volume in these international markets, if I'm selling or buying 10%, Okay, the algos on the other side will sniff you out and start to push the price and, and play games. Algos, okay. is that algorithms? Al- algorithms, yeah. Okay, with all these high-frequency traders, etc. So if they, if Nasdaq sold their stake in ten cents, it would process. It would take them a thousand days to do so. Okay, it would take them of of trading day at ten percent of daily trade. Oh, in fact, just over. So, so the point is that's five years of trade. Plus, you've got to wait three years before you can sell another another 10 cents, single 10 cent share. And my question is, why on earth are they committing that to 10 cent? I mean, 10 cents are not their shareholders. They're not answerable to 10 cent. Um, Ma Hao Teng sold some shares in December, was in last year, sorry, I think it was December. And, and has he made the same commitment, is what I would want to know. And so I think that, that NASPERS, and I've said this on your show before, has a huge stakeholder responsibility to the savings industry of South Africa. And if you look today, you know, the 10 cent stake that is owned by Process is worth 198 billion euros. Okay, let's talk euros now. Process's market cap is 155. So you've got a shortfall of about 43 billion euros the nice. discount that has been paid. Um, NASPERS owns 72.5% of Process. All right, so NASPERS shareholders are bearing 31 billion euros of this cost. And South African shareholders are 43% of NASPERS. So that's 14 billion euros multiplied by the euro rand exchange rate. And there's a 230 billion rand shortfall mm. that is being denied to the South African investors. That's an extraordinary are, number, Sean. It's an extraordinary, it's a huge number. And, um, and these are, and it's being denied to people, you know, COVID with employment and re- uh, people drawing down on savings and retiring, et cetera. This is what, you know, this is what is the cost that has been borne. And so I'm, I think, I, look, I, and I don't own any shares, and I'm extremely disappointed about that because I think the South African savings community has been denied that discount. Now, whether or not that discount could be realized via unbundling, because as soon as the market, I mean, you saw what happened there. It, it was actually a 9% discount. They sold it a 9% discount from the price two days before because as soon as word gets out that there's a bit of a book building coming, People quickly rush off and you know sell their ten cent shares because they know they can buy them back a couple of days later at a lower price. Okay, so so we talk about a nine percent discount and that's for two percent of their shareholding. You know, so that's a two percent stake. So if they had to come to the market and say, look, guys, we're selling thirty percent, you can imagine the price for. But but what I don't think they should have done is I think they should have said we will sell as and when opportunity. Okay, rather than this. We're not going to sell another share for the next three years. I mean, you know, if, if I mean that's that's quite a statement. You know, anything could happen in the next three years. It could go to a sixty percent premium, maybe. You know, who knows? And you what? You don't want to sell then. So I think um, they've tied themselves up, and I don't know why they've done it. And they don't have to. And they've committed that to people who are not their shareholders. That's a very, very good and solid argument, David Shapiro. Do you, do you buy it? Do you buy what Sean's saying or what Bob Van Dijk no, of I, Nice I, No, I, I'm with Sean. I'm with Sean. I'm I'm extremely upset or disappointed by the by the discount, you know, which is more exaggerated in Nice than it is in process. 
And what's disturbed me is that from the time they went to Amsterdam, you know, there was this expectation that the gap would close, which it hasn't. If anything, it's grown further apart. So Sean's dead right. You know, yesterday, 25 billion rands worth of uh, shares traded on the JSE. 36% of that was process and masters. That's how important it is for the JSE. And it's held within, it's in all the tracker funds and it's in all the pension funds. So we are being denied that gap. Look, I hold the same of Remgra, I hold the same for PSG. I've got the same view of, of a number of these holding companies. Um, but um, this one has gone more. This one has grown over the last few months. So I, first of all, the other thing is that I'm a very big supporter of Tencent. If you, I was, I was searching for the last set of results here while we were talking that it's an exceptional business. I mean, it's, it's an absolutely superb business and that, and don't discount China. What did you used to say? You know, don't blame China. Well, <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, forget about the politics. I mean, if you look at China, and where it's going today, uh, particularly in fintech, in e-commerce, and all of these, it's a superb business, gaming. So, I, I, you know, it's the last thing that I wanted want them to do is to sell their stake down as well for a Deliveroo or a just a what's it takeaways or Justin, you help me with all the just different, eat, just eat, um, <laughs> just eat, and so on, which are all making losses. And when uh, what's a Deliveroo came onto the market, it just plunged. So I, you know, I, I just say, why are you doing this? <laughs> just stay with the money, stay, stay with, stay with the company that's feeding you. There's a bit anyway. of a dis- disconnect here as well in the argument, David, which is saying that had we unbundled, shareholders would have been oh. unhappy. Well, if shareholders had not sold their ten cent shares, of course they wouldn't be unhappy. Mm-hmm. In fact, they'd be mm-hmm. much happier because Naspers would be trading not at such a huge risk. It'd be, it'd be trading at something. Because if you think yeah. at the moment, the whole of NASPAS is tra- trading at a negative figure. So, but, but good numbers there, Sean, that you brought out. 230 billion. Wow. Alec, if I can make one other point as well, please. Um, the problem that they have as well is I, I did a little analysis today and I looked at the top 10 South African equity funds, okay, which account for 160 billion rand. And the weighted average uh-huh. stake in NASPAS, it, it was held by every single one, was 12.2%. So 20 billion out of 160 billion just in the top equity funds. Then you looked, then I looked at the top 10 balanced funds, and that was um, another 30 billion rand. Okay, so out of, so and the average, the weighted average holding in Aspes was 5.9%, and this is a balanced fund. So the problem I think that they have is that the South African, you know, in, in markets, shares don't go up because they're cheap. They don't go up because they're great companies. They go up because they're buyers, and their buyers might be there because they're cheap or they great companies, etc. The problem is that the South African institutions are full. And in fact, not only are they full, they are, um, you know, they today, I would guess, they're net sellers because you've seen more money move from equity funds to balanced funds. You've seen people emigrating. You've seen, uh, you know, people diversifying into global equity funds, etc. Um, and so, so, so the South Africans are, are already 43% in us first, and they're selling. The foreigners don't like the corporate governance and don't like, and they want pure play. So the big, the large funds internationally, they want pure play. They don't want this holding company structure and trying to guess what's going to happen. Um, and the passives, you know, if you look at Tencent, because it's China, it's got the China ETS. So who are the buyers? There are no buyers, I would argue, no marginal buyers. The only buyer is Naspers. And that's why there's so much pressure on them to buy back the shares. 
Good arguments all, all around. Thank you, Sean and David, for unpacking the stock that makes up a quarter of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. It's going cheap. We're going to find out about something else that's going cheap, horrifically cheap, it seems. The Anglo Coal Assets with Peter Major in just a moment. <laughs> You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Okay, Pete, so you've been given a lovely compliment from Sean Pesh when uh, you were an old man and he was a young man. Uh, now he's a little older, so I don't know what that makes you. But when, when you have a look at what Anglo-American has done today with the announcement that it's going to be listing its coal assets and supporting the coal assets if the coal price falls, it looks like an, a sabanya all over again where the international community wants to dump the South African assets, should we as South Africans be waiting for the share price of Anglo, Ang, this, the, the new Anglo coal company to come to the market and buy it cheap? Look, we should wait and see what it turns out because in that respect, it's like Sabanya. We thought it was coming on pretty cheap and it, it did come on cheap and it had a good management team and then it fell even cheaper and cheaper and then it turned and rocketed and then everybody said, we knew they were going to do it, and, and they did. And then it really fell. Boy, did it fall after that. Um, look, the first disclaimer here, Alec, is you're talking to the rustiest analyst on the JSE. Not, not the oldest, Shapiro is, but I'm the rustiest. <laughs> Shapiro and Sean, are, they're well-oiled. But, um, not to not. I think it, it's going to come on cheap. And it's. I remember when they came to see us, I was – I was at Seifert's Ned Bank then, and, and Campbell came to see us. He was head of Amco, mm. and he said, we decided to buy it back, and this is what we're going to pay you. And we looked at the th- piece of paper and said, hey, man, we think this is a little bit low. He says, no, no, my board here, my analysts, and he had three really sharp internal analysts at Angles. Mm. They'd all worked it out. That was a fair price. Anyways, that was his opening shot. He had to pay more, but it's, it's different now. Anglos bought... All the companies, all the mining houses in the 90s, they bought their coal assets back off the market because they were banks. They printed money at any coal price, and coal prices weren't high in the 90s, but they all were well run, and they traded at very low PEs. The dividend yields virtually mm. what the PE was, sorry, mm. and the earnings yield. Yeah, they were paying out all their earnings, almost like a gold share. But things are different now. These are worse than cigarette companies. Mm. Um, these these kill more people than cigarette companies, <laughs> and and the ESG the cigarette companies are somehow escaping these ESG rules and regulations. But boy, the coal mines aren't. And if you listen to Mark Kudafani explaining why they were doing it, I think I only in the first few minutes he said it very well. He said this is at the bottom of our priority list. So we have all these assets. And there's some assets we're looking at getting and our capital allocation, this is at the bottom of our capital allocation. So we're not going to put more money into it. And, and we've known that for 10 or 15 years. They're not putting more money into it. And if you're not going to take care of one of your children, give it to a family or give it freedom. Don't let it just – can you imagine sitting at the board and you never get any more porridge? You know, you're stunted. And Anglos doesn't need it, and even though – it makes money most of the time. I'm surprised it, it didn't have 
better earnings the last few years. These haven't been bad coal prices, and it's RAND-based. But it's been coming. They couldn't find anybody to sell it to. And heaven knows they've tried. Look how hard South 32's tried. It's much better. Distribute it to individual shareholders. Coal prices are pretty high now. The share should trade. It's going to trade as good as it will if they can unbundle it in the next month or two. You don't want to unbundle it at the bottom and everybody gives away too cheap. But it's, it's a sign of the times. And let me end by saying Mark is trying to get Anglo-Americans PE up. He's done really well since he's been there getting the share price up. But the PE has actually gone down. So it means it's metal prices and earnings that have gotten the share price up. Right now, I think his PE relative to the S&P is a third, 0.33. And the long-term average, whether it's 20 years or 100 years, is 0.72. So can you imagine, you're, Anglos, everybody likes it. It's doing great. They're making money. They've got a great management team. They've narrowed down their focus. And they're trading at close to the worst P relative to S&P. And it's an international company. So this is an attempt to improve his rating, to get the price of his paper higher. So just to, just to explain it in words that everybody can understand, for Anglo-Americans rating to get back to normality, to its long-term trend, the share price has got to double. And he's doing what he can to try and get that, get that to work. But you still have a look at this, and it's, these have got to be assets worth more then just yes. lifting them on the market, you're going to have all the international investors, particularly the UK shareholders, where Anglo is now based, dumping stock on the market. Let them. And the quest, Let it, we'll that's the it. question. The que- should we buy it? Should we all who are listening to you now, Peter, say, let's wait for them to throw the shares on the market because they're selling it for ESG and other reasons. Okay, and I'm getting as, as bad as you are environmental, social, and governance, which is the big new word. Uh, if you're in a, a woke society, that's what you want to do. You want to be applying all of these um, parameters to any investment you make. They want to be sure that there's no carbon problems, there's no uh, perceived negativity. So they're just going to be selling these coal assets. So we as South Africans, we should sit there and wait for them to sell and buy. Is that the is that the the advice you're giving us. Yeah, I believe so. I like it. You said it. It's like Sabanya. Nobody wanted to buy a pure underground, deep level, old gold mining company in South Africa. So even though it had a great management team and they weren't bad assets, you saw the guys that dumped Sabanya when it came on, but it only lasted a couple months. And yeah, it went right back up. And I don't know if this is a better management team, but let them dump it and, and let the thing go to crazy levels. I mean, cigarette companies have been going bust for a hundred years and they just keep churning out the earnings and the dividend and, and hell, Alan Gray, they must've had more cigarettes and alcohol in their portfolio than, than most of the other new age things. Sean, you're a value investor, deep value investor. Are you going to be looking closely at Tungela resources as it's going to be called the new a listing that's coming on the, I think it's the 5th of June, it's going to be on our market? Yeah, I certainly will, Alec. Absolutely. You know, uh, absolutely. And we, we own Sabanya in the fund. It's one of our top holdings. So, um, you know, I, yeah. 
And I think that ESG is a massive factor. And you're seeing some assets like wind farms and anything to do with wind and turbine and solar through the roof. And then these other assets through the floor. And I think those are great opportunities. David, from your side, you've been around long enough to see a bargain. Alec, do you recall on program that I was on with you, we happened to mention Sassel as being fairly good value. And we had a lady down in Cape Town who sent us letters. Remember, remember the 28 Rand. Mm. <laughs> 28 Rand, we thought it was good value. <laughs> but but uh, the kind of reaction because of carbon, uh, you know, their, their, their spillouts and uh, various other issues like that, um, their carbon footprint, we got plastered. And I think that any institution today who goes and buys a coal asset is going to be sitting there and some woke or whatever you call these kind of people are going to come and attend the meeting and let you have it. You say, you know, this is just not worth it. So if you're a private investor, by all means, buy it. But if you're an institution, you're going to uh, refrain from going into this kind of area for the points that actually Pete brought up in the in the early stages of his conversation. It just... It's, it's a very difficult area to get involved with. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saying no. You're saying? <laughs> For those reasons, I'm, I'm ESG, yeah. Are you ESG? <laughs> yeah, I'm ESG. Mr. Woke Shapiro. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want letters from people. I'm a, I don't want to be my <laughs> even Even at 28 Rand for Cecil, David, has she scared you off? It's, remember, it's over totally. 200 now. To- totally. I'm just so politically correct, you can't believe it. <laughs> You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Peter, before we let you go, uh, when you have a look at Anglo-American after the coal assets, is that a stock now that we should be buying? Given what you said earlier, it's trading at half of its long-term value. It's trying to get back to its normal uh, or the, the, the long-term uh, percentage of the uh, the S&P index. I, I think so, Alec, even though it's had a run. But remember, all these commodity companies, they rise and fall on the commodity price. And where's Anglo's money right now? It's in iron ore and it's in PGMs. And both of those aren't as high prices. They're at insane prices. So (laughs) look, Mark's got to work on the rating. He's doing all he can, but just remember PGMs and iron ore. When those turn down, even poor Anglo's is going to go down. (laughs) Spoosh Abalana is with us here in studio. You're going to have a, you're going to have full pockets soon uh, when this deal goes and you can sell your shares to the Canadians and, make investments does this look like something you might be I, investing I, in <laughs> I, I don't intend selling however however oh. I, I believe i believe that uh, the esg approach is uh, is is a future approach so i would, I would so you're not going to own coal <laughs> okay okay well it, it looks sure it looks like it's me and you that's it we, we we're going to be sitting with it with you know the problem with all of this is it surely money's not sentimental yeah. Surely, if you're going to get a return on investment, that's where your money should go. I'm not saying we're not going to change the world with our little thousand rands here and there. Right. Uh, the people who're going to change the world are sitting in uh, in union buildings and and uh, United Nations, and they're going to make all their decisions. But if they make dumb decisions, which states tend to do, then surely, as a as an individual, you should be looking to take advantage of that. 
Yes, uh, but uh, but however, we we live in a in a society where if you, you as an individual, you also don't take responsibility. No one does. No, you take responsibility. Of course you do. You arbitrage. Anyway, it's a, it's it's wonderful. I must stop this. I mean, last night, Pete and I got into quite a nice heated discussion, and that's really not the intention. We're going to close our program off tonight with Jeremy Borain, uh, who is the publishing director at Jonathan Ball Publishers. Jeremy, I mentioned earlier in the program, and it 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 really is a a very sad news to to hear that your longtime friend and the the man who started Jonathan Ball Publishers, Jonathan Ball, uh, passed away from cancer last week. Uh, he, he is well known, um, I suppose, because of the name of his company. But what isn't as well known is the activist role that he, may, he, he played in taking subjects that other people in South Africa were perhaps too scared to touch. And it goes all the way back to the 70s when he took on the National Party government with publishing the book on the Super Afrikaners, on the Bruderbond. What kind of a man was the actual man rather than the image? Uh, hi, Alec. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Yes, it's been, um, it's been a very tumultuous last few days. It's, a, uh, it's extraordinary the, sort of, the number of letters of condolence from you know, authors and uh, people he met along the way, and he certainly met a lot of people along the way. Um, it's quite hard to sort of say off the bat what he was, you know, as a man. I mean, I think that, um, um, in, 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 in working with him as a publisher, perhaps what I can say is what really drove him in terms of his publishing were two things. And the, the one was the, like any good story, um, it's the beginning and the end. And the beginning is the ideas, the sort of the, the, the yeast that gives rise to the publishing. And, um, he was extraordinary in the sense that, you know, not a day would go by when he wouldn't walk past my office and say, Jeremy, Jeremy, I've got an idea. And, uh, they were always percolating and they could come from absolutely anywhere. Um, of course, his, his true interest was, um, a sort of a combination of history, politics, and current affairs. Uh, and yes, you're right. He did, he did, uh, tilt, um, at the apartheid, uh, windmill, but, uh, but equally so when things started going, you know, off piste in, 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 uh, since 1994, was quite happy to, to, to publish books that criticized the current government. Um, the other thing that he that that kept, which made him a businessman, and not just a man of ideas, was um, he loved the ideas, but he also loved the sales that came along with them. So, and he was extraordinary at at, at uh, garnering sales for, for books. So, um, yeah, not a, not an easy question to kick off with, Alec. I, I did ask him to do a podcast with me. And uh, he he showed how much he loves books above all else, or loved books above all else, by by saying, and I'm quoting, "I'm certainly not interested in anything that is not written." So, in other words, he he declined the the uh, uh, the invitation uh, very forcefully. I, I also, though, uh, understand that he was a great admirer of Kurt Becker. Not just understand, I know that from the various emails that I saw, and uh, and also. A, was a big supporter of NASPAS, the group, and what it's done internationally. Where, of course, he's been very much on the money. But does he? Did he have a personal relationship with Chris? Yes, he did. I mean, I don't. I don't know much about that. I mean, 
Jonathan was able to establish personal relationships with a lot of different people at a lot of different levels, you know, including many uh, in the UK and internationally as he built up his business. But of course, Jonathan Ball Publishers was bought by Naspers in the 90s. Um, you know, in, in running a business, ran into a, a cash crunch and, and sold. And I think his, his relationship with Kurs developed then. I mean, I don't think Kurs was the person he was closest to. It was probably Ton Fosloo who, who, who I think ran the deal or ran with the deal. But he certainly built up a fairly close relationship with Kurs. As I said, I, you know, I don't, I don't know the sort of any, the sort of inner workings of it, but, I think when you're owned by Naspers, you do take an interest in what someone like Chris Becker is doing. And of course, um, you know, I mean, Chris sort of <laughs> has done extraordinarily well. Um, and, and Jonathan was only too pleased to sort of have a, a sort of a ringside seat on occasion. So I, I can't really say much more than that. Other than that, look, uh, what I can say is that we are producing a, um, a book on Jonathan at the moment and, and, uh, Chris is contributing to it. So that does perhaps give you an indication of their friendship. What was his favorite author or favorite book? Have you got any of those kind of insights that you can share? Uh, you know, it's, I think as a publisher, you would never divulge who your favorite author is or your favorite book. I mean, that would just be, you know, uh, uh um, that, that wouldn't impress the other authors, uh, uh, terribly much. Um, so I think, you know, in a, in a, in a publishing career spanning 45 years or 40 years, you know, I think there would be books of the time. And I suppose the one that, you know, the origin one is the, is the soup Afrikaners, um, which he, you know, he started Jonathan Ball in his first iteration in 1976, which was not, was not exactly a kind of, you know, a time when you would, you would think you'd be investing money in a publishing company in South Africa, but he did. And the Super Afrikaners, it wasn't many years afterwards that he published that. And of course it was a, you know, a wild success commercially, but also, you know, cocked a snook at, at the nationalist government. Um, and it upset them enormously. Um, so, you know, and I think that that one, I mean, we, we reissued that book perhaps about 10 years ago. And, you know, we sold 10,000 copies of a, of an, of a book that was 30 years old. So that was, I think perhaps that book, I mean, not a favorite's the wrong word, but I mean, that is the one that kind of cemented his reputation as someone with real pedigree as a publisher. But there have been many authors down the years that he has, you know, I think he enjoyed publishing some of the sort of uh, uh, liberal leaders down the years. So Helen Sussman, um, Fonseil Slabbert, Tony Leon, you know, I think those were, those, those were politicians whose, whose um, politics coincided with his. And so I think he was very pleased to have published them. Tell us something about him that we don't know. Well, you said that he um, uh, that he only liked things that are written down, but in fact, I can tell you that he um, um, was a, a fabulous um, opera singer, untrained, and it you know it did require a bottle or two of red wine <laughs> on an afternoon to get him going. But I mean, his, uh, you know, he could really he had a wonder he had a wonderful baritone. Um, and, um, 
but on a, on a, on a smaller scale, and again, relating back to the publishing, uh, I would wander into his office and say, Jonathan, you know, we, we, we need a blurb for this book. And instead of hunching down over his computer to write it, he would orate it. He would orate the blurb. And I would say to him, Jonathan, just write the damn thing down, you know, but he, he, he loved a good speech and he loved speech, you know, not only just making them, but I mean, actually reading speeches and, and, and listening to speeches. And he, in fact, at, um, you know, at many sort of friends, 60th birthday parties, whatever, he would be the speaker because he was so entertaining. So he was, he, he said he liked the written word, but in fact, he loved the spoken word as well. Jeremy Borain is the publishing director at Jonathan Ball Publishers, which is continuing after its founder's passing and uh, a big feat that have left our uh, environment. Jonathan Ball passed away last week of cancer. Well, gents, before we go, uh, it's not every day that you have a CEO of a public company that's just been made an offer to buy out his company uh, from an offshore, uh, a, a massive offshore organization. David, you've seen this happen many times. What advice would you pass on to Spoo that you've, you've seen from your experience? In terms of uh, the, don't spend the money, Spoo. Just, just invest it. I mean, if, I, if I've got, you know, if you go look over the life that we spent, and Mr. Major as well in the market, uh, you want to increase your wealth, stay with the business that you know, or just stay with the stock market. Don't be, and, and if anybody starts to visit you and he's wearing a sharp suit and driving, just send him away. <laughs> he wasn't listening you. to what you said no. earlier. You're not selling, are you? No, I'm not, I'm not selling, no, but, no, but it's, good, it's good advice when I have to. <laughs> Sean? I, I, I can't top that, Alec. That's um, very sound advice. Peter, I'm sure you're going to try. Mm-hmm. Look, I remember when I joined Mark and he just sold his company to a big offshore buyer. Now, now you've got to say Mark who? Okay, yeah. Mark Shuttleworth. Mm-hmm. He had okay. $530 million. Interest rates were very high. And the JSE, I think, was at the lowest it had ever been in the history of man relative to S&P. And I kept saying, Mark, I'll take care of the asset of the the 530. Why don't you just spend the dividends, you know? And, and then if you tell me you run out of the dividends, then maybe we'll, we can start spending some of the interest. But let's not dive into the capital, you know? So let's not touch the 530. That's, that's my job. I'll, I'll make sure it goes up, not down. And because... The world is so big and you've got all this money. You've probably been living out of a suitcase most of your life. Now you got all this money. So heck, whether the dividend is three, four, five percent. Just just spend that for the first year and see how you do. If if you get a great return, then maybe you start spending the interest as well. If you get a great return, then start going into your capital. But yeah, don't touch that capital for the first year or two. Pete, thanks. And for those who don't know, Mark Shuttleworth is uh well, he's an IT entrepreneur, sold his company to VeriSign at the very top of the NASDAQ bubble and uh, became the first African in space by uh, going up and fulfilling one of his dreams. And he's done very well indeed. Thank you. And thanks to Peter Major. Well, let's just close off. Uh, and and uh, Pete, well done on that, on, on, uh, on the work that you did, uh, not just the advice that you've shared with us now, but on the work that you did on that portfolio and on, on coming onto this show and, and sharing your wisdom and, and insights. We well, really do appreciate it. I, 
I always feel privileged, and I mean that, especially the guests you've got on as well, especially with Dave. And yeah, it's great to see Sean again, man. It's like a, like a reunion for you guys. Well, let's re- have a reunion with the stock market, and here's uh, Justin Ray Roberts. The JSE All Share Index fell to 67,000. Some of the day's highlights include Car Track falling 6% to 54 Rand a share, Barlow World increased 6% to 97 Rand. NASPERS was flat at 3,500 rand a share, recovering after yesterday's 5% um, down day. In the currency markets, the rand was flat against all the major currencies to 14 rand 50 to the greenback, 19 rand 90 to the sterling, and 17 rand 26 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,754 an ounce. Brent crude is low at $63 a barrel. And lastly, Bitcoin is trading at 835,000 rand a Bitcoin. Well, thanks for being with us tonight. And uh, remember, we are on air 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. every weeknight on FMR in Cape Town and live streamed um, worldwide through the Biz News Radio channel. You can pick up the recordings of this show on the Biz News Radio uh, channels on Spotify and iTunes. From our team here at Biz News, look forward to being back in your company again tomorrow. Until then, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Biz News.